Happy Sunday and thank you for joining me today. Um, it was a Sunday morning and just before 8 a.m., hundreds of Japanese fighter jets descended on the base where they somehow managed to annihilate and completely destroy 20 American naval vessels. Um, this included eight battleships and more than 300 planes. The death toll reached more than 2,400 Americans, including civilians. Another 1,000 people were wounded. This is on December 7th, 1941. The president was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Here was the news reporting from the time. Through crowded streets, America's great war leader, the late President Roosevelt, drove to the Capitol. December 8, 1941, President Roosevelt appears before a joint session of Congress. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. One hour and 20 minutes after the President's address, Congress declares war on Japan. That was December 7th, 1940, excuse me, December 7th, 1941, um, and the United States had been spontaneously attacked by Japan. Um, the following day, we officially entered World War II, as you just heard the reporter say there. Um, World War II began in 1939 and ended in 1945 when Japan surrendered to the United States after President, after President um, Harry S. Truman dropped the, the bomb on Hiroshima. Um, it was the atomic bomb that he dropped on Hiroshima in 1945, and that's what essentially concluded that war, and that's how the United Nations was born. So World War II lasted from 1939 to 1945, so it lasted for six years, and we entered the war at the end of 1941 after being spontaneously attacked by Japan. The following year, on, on January 14, 1942, it was announced that a tank destroyer tactical and firing center would be created near Killen, Texas. Um, General, Adri General Andrew D. Bruce was chosen as the first commander, and on September 18, 1942, Camp Hood was officially opened and had been used for armored training ever since. Um, the, the installation was named in honor of General John Bell Hood 
who, which was a, a Confederate general who fought during the Civil War. The mission at Camp Hood was immediately expanded to include a replacement and basic training center at, at North Fort Hood. At, at times, as many as 100,000 soldiers were, were being trained in order to prepare for the war. The Texas State Historical Association writes, quote, During the later part of the war, some 4,000 German prisoners of war were imprisoned at Camp Hood. End quote. By 1950, um, the camp was rendered the permanent status or the permanent name of Fort Hood. And l- just looking back on that history now is just being su- such an, an interesting, intricate part of Fort Hood's history. That now leads you to now. In 2009, there was a mass shooting at Fort Hood. This was ABC News reporting at the time. We're learning is just more and more about what actually happened here. It seemed to be a combination of the worst circumstances. A group of unarmed young soldiers getting ready to deploy in a confined area. Somebody literally getting up out of a seat and a random violent action. We must remember, these are young men and women who are preparing for the worst overseas. They never expected this kind of chaos to attack them at home. Tornado sirens signal the attack on the massive army post. Home video catches police cars racing to the scene. At 1.30 p.m., gunfire rings out near the heart of Fort Hood at the soldier readiness center where those about to be deployed go for medical treatment. The enemy, one of their own, an officer, Major Nidal Hassan, who bursts into a waiting area in the building, opening fire with a handgun and semi-automatic weapon, which can fire more than a bullet every second. Allegedly, Hassan shoots two private security guards early on to make it easier to kill. He shoots over 40 people, 13 of whom would die. The victims are sucked into the ambush. Soldiers are unarmed and unable to defend themselves. However, in seconds, they adapt and overcome the assault, scrambling for cover and blocking the doors to an adjacent college graduation, keeping 600-plus out of harm's way. Before the shooting spree is even over, jackets, shirts, even clean diapers are used to bandage the wounded. God bless uh, these soldiers uh, and these great uh, uh, Department of the Army uh, civilians. The quick reaction, uh, I'm sure this could have been much worse. Within minutes, local police respond. Hassan is shot four times, twice by a female civilian officer who was first to the scene and also injured in the gunfight. Hassan was believed dead at the scene, but actually survived and was put on a ventilator. Motive is still unclear. This surveillance video obtained by CNN from a convenience store shows him in the early morning hours before the shooting. He chats with a clerk who for the first time notices he is wearing traditional Muslim attire. Hassan is said to have complained of being hassled by other soldiers for being a Muslim and was in fact disciplined for preaching to patients and colleagues about that faith. Hassan, an army psychiatrist, was also reportedly upset about his upcoming deployment to Iraq and America's military presence there. The day's events were a reversal of fortune for soldiers at Fort Hood. Usually it is those at home worrying about those abroad. Instead, with the base on lockdown, children kept inside classrooms and police on every street, it was those off base desperate for information. That's my husband texting me right now from Iraq. So the guys over there just found out what's going on. Yeah, he's He's really upset and he's freaking out. Early on, there was great confusion. Reports of two more shooters. Two suspects are even apprehended, but later released. 
With cell phones jammed, people turn to Twitter for communication. Not too sure where the shooter is at right now. My building is on lockdown. A community shocked by a sadness that's shared by the entire country. It's difficult enough when we lose these brave Americans in battles overseas. Uh, it is horrifying that they should come under fire at an army base on American soil. That was President Obama. That was also a an, an ABC News special on that situation at Fort Hood, that 2009 mass shooting at Fort Hood. In 2014, there was another shooting at Fort Hood. Um, four people were dead and 16 others were wounded. It was just absolutely horrific. It was another devastating shooting at Fort Hood after just suffering the, the shooting in 2009, where many were dead and many were wounded. In 2014, another one transpired. Four people were left dead and 16 others were wounded. Here was CNN um, just six years ago remembering the victims of that Fort Hood shooting. Sergeant First Class Danny Ferguson is being remembered as a hero, sacrificing his life to protect a room full of others, using his own body as a barricade in front of a door to keep the gunman out. His fiancée, Kristen Haley, was nearby when the gunfire erupted. He held that door shut because there's no lock. If he was not being the one against that door holding it, that shooter would have been able to get through and shoot everyone else. A talented athlete, friends say he was destined for greatness. Ferguson had just returned from a tour in Afghanistan. His fiance says he died doing what he loved, serving his country. He did have a pleasure serving. Like, this was his life, and he was so proud to be a part of such a great um, service. A counselor and father of two, Sergeant Timothy Owens, just signed up for another six years in the Army. Recently remarried, the 37-year-old dedicated his life to helping fellow soldiers. His mother tried calling her son when she heard about the shooting. He didn't answer the phone, so I left a message on his phone. Son, call me so I know if you're okay or not. Well, never got no call from him. I thought, oh, God, please don't let it be. And Sergeant Carlos Lazani Rodriguez enlisted as soon as he could at age 18. Described as a caring leader, the native Puerto Rican had a 20-year career in the Army. He planned to retire at the end of this year. Among the 16 wounded, Sergeant Jonathan Westbrook, a former bank teller and dedicated father of three from Mississippi who joined the Army three years ago. Westbrook worked in the office where the shooting began. He was hit by three bullets in his chest in one of his arms. And New York State native Major Patrick Miller is in stable condition after two surgeries. The two-time combat veteran also has master's degrees in business and public administration from Syracuse University. Friends call him the glue that keeps them together. Obviously this is a, is a, is a wound on his belt, but um, he will, he'll, he'll, he'll move on. Move on, but never forget. In 2014, a Fort Hood soldier was accused of leading a prostitution ring. The following year, in 2015, the soldier pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two years in prison. Cairo 7 News reported in August that at least seven soldiers um, had went, excuse me, that at least 12 soldiers have went missing at Fort Hood. Also in August, we learned of this news. This was reporting from KETKNBC News. Listen to this. 
New details this morning, a child prostitution ring involving two Fort Hood soldiers and seven other men were busted by investigators. Police say that the nine men responsible made agreements involving drugs, money and alcohol through the use of social media. They also involved sex acts with girls aged 15 or 16. The girls turned out to be undercover officers and no children were jeopardized in that operation. All men involved now face child prostitution charges. Uh, once again, as reporting from KETK NBC News, um, last month the Army found the Army discussed the Army actually said that Fort Hood soldier specialist Vanessa Guillen died in the line of duty. Stars and Stripes reports quote In August, the base began searching for another missing soldier, Sergeant El excuse me Sergeant Elder Fernandez. After a week of searching, he was found dead in a temple. Uh, he was found dead in temple of an apparent suicide. His family has said that Fernandez was sexually harassed and bullied by his fellow soldiers. Guillen and Fernandez are two of 28 soldiers who have died at Fort Hood just this year. Including Guillen, including Guillen, five of those soldiers died by homicide, more than double than in the previous four years. Six soldiers died by suicide and another six deaths have not been classified. End quote. Once again, this is reporting from the Stars and Stripes newspaper. Um, the Intercept last month essentially just just broke a blistering report. Um, they, they put this report on their website. This was by reporter M Melissa Bosk at The Intercept. And here's the headline, quote, Army sergeants at Fort Hood fear for the safety of their soldiers. Here is the subheadline, quote, Non-commissioned officers at the, troubled, at the troubled base say they have little faith that military or congressional reviews will change the toxic leadership culture, end quote. Here is the lead from that article, and then I'm going to continue with the reporting. Quote, Seven non-commissioned officers responsible for the training and welfare of soldiers at Fort Hood, the sprawling U.S. Army base in Killen, Texas, said the environment there has become so dangerous that, the, that they fear for the safety of their soldiers. The five sergeants and two staff sergeants described a toxic leadership culture at Fort Hood that tolerates rampant drug, ramp, excuse me, rampant drug use, sexual harassment, and misconduct on base, and in some instances, in some instances, has allowed service members accused of sexual assault to remain within their ranks. Three of the NCOs said they've witnessed young soldiers in crisis who were ignored by their commanding officers and later attempted and later attempted suicide. Since January, there have been 28 deaths at Fort Hood, including five homicides and eight suicides. Four of the deaths are still being investigated, including the most recent on September 2nd of Private Coralton Chief, 25 years old, who collapsed during a training exercise and later died. Over the last five years, more soldiers stationed at Fort Hood have been murdered on and off base than killed in battle. Quote, I would be scared to send my kid to Fort Hood, end quote, said a sergeant who served in the Army for nearly a decade. Quote, I don't think the leadership here at Fort Hood is doing a good job or any sort of job to protect their soldiers. Quote, the NCOs who were inter interviewed individually over a span over of several weeks agreed to speak with the Intercept on the condition that they remain anonymous, fearing retribution. They said they were compelled to come forward out of concern that no meaningful change, that no meaningful change will come from the military and congressional investigations launched in the wake of public outcry over the murder of 20-year-old 
Vanessa Guillen, a specialist in the 3rd Cavalry Regiment who was killed by another soldier at Fort Hood in April. Guillen's family has charged that leaders at Fort Hood mishandled the investigation into her disappearance as well as the reports that she had been sexually harassed prior to her murder. Quote, the public needs to know what's going on here, said one of the sergeants, quote, because I have no more faith in the federal system or the army. End, end quote. Um, once again, this reporting from The Intercept, essentially just a blistering report of anonymous sources talking to The Intercept about the conditions at Fort Hood and how it has just become overwhelmingly just sad. The article continues, quote, in early August, in early August, quote, Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy apologized for failing Guillen and her family in a press briefing at Fort Hood which he characterized as having, quote, the most cases for sexual assault and harassment and murders for our entire formation of the U.S. Army, quote, end quote. McCarthy also said that an independent review would be conducted by five civilian consultants, four veterans, and a former FBI agent into Fort Hood's leadership culture. The article continues, quote, three weeks after McCarthy's briefing, Major General Scott Eflint, base commander at Fort Hood, was removed from his post and reassigned at dep as deputy commanding general for support at the base. At the time, Army Futures Command General John Murray announced an in-depth investigation into the conduct of the chain of command after Guillen's disappearance to accompany the review by the independent panel, which is scheduled to issue its final report on October 30th, end quote. Once again, um, reporting from The Intercept, just remarkable reporting on the conditions at Fort Hood and how it is honestly just sad. The situation where the Fort Jackson soldiers who were um, the Fort Jackson soldiers who reportedly died at that base, we are keeping an eye on that story. We have no further developments on that story yet. Um, on Friday, we learned about the Fort Bliss soldier. It, the search for this missing soldier has now reached on Friday. That so, the, sur, the search for that missing soldier reached its 100th day for Private Richard Halliday. They are still searching for the soldier. The El Paso Times writes, quote, As Private Richard Halliday's, disappear Halliday's disappearance from Fort Bliss nears its 100th day, the 1st Armored Division gave a monthly update to remind anyone to come forward with information. Quote, Today is day 99 since his disappearance. Halliday's family said in a statement read by Lieutenant Colonel Allie Payne, the public information officer for the 1st Armored Division. Quote, We will climb many mountains and follow any credible lead to find Richard. We love him, we miss him, and we want him to have a future. End quote. Once again, reporting um, reporting for El Paso Times about that missing Fort Bliss soldier, still missing, reaching the 100th day on Friday. Earlier this week, um, a local news org a local news station actually spoke with one of the Fort Hood, one of the new acting senior commanders at Fort Hood, um, not only about the death of Vanessa Guillen, but about the leadership there. Listen to this. Today's exclusive answers about the future of an embattled army post straight from the top. The murder of Fort Hood soldier Vanessa Guillen sparked international outrage. Her case also prompted a series of investigations into how the leadership on post cares for our soldiers on the home front. That responsibility now falls on a new acting senior commander recently appointed to Fort Hood. Channel 2 investigator Robert Arnold spoke with him one-on-one. -on -one. Murdered by a hammer, 
burned and then dismembered and thrown to a river like she was nothing. We're not gonna stop until justice is served. Her name became a rallying cry. We wanna know the truth, we want answers, we want accountability. And her murder is forcing the Army to change how it treats its soldiers. I think maybe we made some assumptions that we were taking care of people better than we really were. Major General John Richardson is the new acting senior commander of Fort Hood and deputy commanding general of operations for three corps. We've had a lot of outside eyes come in and, and help us see ourselves, and they have uncovered some blind spots for us. General Richardson says one of the biggest blind spots is a lack of trust between the soldiers and their leaders. Our soldiers are watching everything that we do. They, they may not be saying anything, but they're, they're watching. Multiple investigations are underway into exactly why Fort Hood experienced 129 felonies a year over five years. Crimes including homicide, sexual assault, and robbery. So as a leader, that hurts. It hurts a lot. General Richardson says 20 years of war caused an imbalance in the Army. We were so focused on training uh, that we did invest the time that we should have into our people. To understand the importance of that statement, listen to what is instilled in JROTC cadets in high school. We actually have 11 principles of leadership that the Army made in 1947, and one of them is know your people and you know look out for their well-being. Ian Russell has been preparing for life in the Army since middle school. I really want to be able to say, you know, I served, I, I did my part. And Russell's mother, like thousands of other families, is both proud and worried. I think I'll be worried probably every day. What are you doing to allay fears for parents? I think the real issue is we're attacking the trust deficit. At the end of September, General Richardson shut down the Corps at Fort Hood for five days. He ordered his leaders to get to know their soldiers beyond the uniform. He also ordered his officers to make contact with the families of every soldier under their command. When I heard that, I, I was really glad. Gian's family was happy to hear about the changes, too, but say it's not enough. Four-star General John Murray, in charge of investigating Vanessa's chain of command, recently visited the family's home. They just came to our household just to give us the same report as always. We're still continuing the investigation. Well, where's the answers? You have six months already. How do you regain that trust when so many of those leaders are still on post? Um, number one, identifying who we're talking about, and, and that's part of the effort. Um, and, you know, eventually um, leaders will change. For Vanessa's family, these changes are long overdue. How many more have to die for her to be held accountable? Another change the Army is making comes from Vanessa's case and involves missing soldiers. Within the first hour, a soldier is reported missing. Leaders on post are now required to visit that soldier's home or barracks, check social media accounts, and speak with friends. By the second hour, leaders are required to notify family members, local law enforcement, and check local hospitals. It is not until after a soldier is found unharmed and does not voluntarily return to his or her unit that that soldier will then be considered absent without leave or AWOL. Reporting live from Southeast Houston, Robert Arnold, KPRC, Channel 2 News. Thank you, Robert. Frank Once again, that was an exclusive, that was exclusive reporting from Click 2 Houston News that actually got to interview the new acting senior commander at Fort Hood. Um, so that came out on Friday, October 30th. We are going to keep an eye on this story and all of the stories that are taking place right now. This was our TJPS special report on the conditions and situation right now at Fort Hood. Fort Bliss, and Fort Jackson. We have much more ahead tonight on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Stay with us. Much more ahead.
Um, on May 15, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed a significant piece of legislation that officially created the United States Department of Agriculture. Uh, President Lincoln referred to the USDA as, quote, the People's Department, end quote. Uh, President Lincoln also said, quote, no other human occupation opens, opens so wide a field for the profitable and agreeable combination of labor with the cultivated thought as agriculture, end quote. The first secretary of the Department of Agriculture was a gentleman named Norman J. Coleman. Uh, he had become Commissioner of Agriculture on April 3, 1865 and became the first USDA secretary in February of 1889. Um, the USDA has always been a remarkable and important part of our nation in terms of scientific excellence and scientific leadership and scientific importance. Um, in 1972, the USDA Forest Service released this ad courtesy to the Hall of Advertising YouTube channel. Listen to this. Smokey Bear has got a pal who was always on the prowl. Woody is his name, you know, he's the anti-pollution owl. That was in 1972 from the United States Department of Agriculture. Um, on January 20th, 2017, Donald Trump became the 46th president of the United States. Um, and he nominated for the Secretary of Agriculture. He nominated Sonny Perdue to be the Secretary of Agriculture. And ever since then, that department has had many internal disasters. For instance, in June of last year, Politico reported that the Department of Agriculture buried studies indicating that, yes, climate change is an existential threat. But some of the information that the USDA is, but some of that information, the USDA the information that the USDA is, is, is essentially withholding, or the Trump administration is getting the USDA to withhold, is essential. For instance, in 2017, USDA scientists discovered that climate change was the cause of nutrient runoff and agricultural pollution in the lower Mississippi River Delta for farmers who are grappling with that. In July of 2018, USDA scientists discovered that coffee was being affected by climate change. Political reports, quote, a July 2018 finding that coffee can potentially help scientists figure out how to evaluate and respond to the complex interactions between plants, pests, and a changing environment, end quote. So USDA scientists discovered all these things, and the Trump administration is covering it up. And here's another one, arguably one of the most, the most essential, arguably the most essential food on earth is rice. More than 600 million people on earth receive more than half of their calories or half of their protein um, from rice, from consuming rice on a daily basis. In 2019, USDA scientists came to an astonishing conclusion about rice. They discovered that as carbon dioxide increases in the atmosphere, rice loses its vitamins. This means that crops, 
that this means that crop this means that this crop that more than 600 million people count on will become less nutritious politico interviewed one politico interviewed one usda scientist who spoke on the condition of anonymity to avoid retribution and th this this usda scientist said quote why the h is the us which is ostensibly the leader in scientific research ignoring this it's not like we're working on something that's esoteric we're working on something that has dire consequences for the entire planet you can only postpone reality for so long End quote. So this was reporting from Politico last year on what the Trump administration was doing to the United States Department of Agriculture. Nevertheless, the Trump administration also infamously ordered USDA, sci USDA scientists to either pack up and move to Kansas City, Missouri, or be fired. Last year in August, the Washington Post reported that President Trump pushed to allow new logging in Alaska's, in Alaska's Tungus National Forest. The Tungus National Forest is a beautiful place. You can actually search it up on Google as you're listening to this. Its origins date back to 1902 when President Theodore Roosevelt issued a proclamation declaring it Alexander Archipelago Forest Reserve. Um, five years later, President Roosevelt created a separated Tungus National Forest. Reportedly, both areas were officially consolidated on July 1st, 1908. The Tungus National Forest sits on 16.7 million acres and is one of the U.S.'s largest national forests. But then came the Trump administration, and they basically said, yeah, yeah, whatever. The Washington Post reported at the time, quote, The move would affect more than half of the world's largest intact temperature rainforest, opening it to, a, opening it to potentially logging, energy, and mining projects. President Trump has instructed Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue to exempt Alaska's 16.7 million acres Tungus National Forest from logging restrictions imposed nearly 20 years ago. End quote. And this is just absolutely terrible, especially when it comes to climate change. I mean, the United States Department of Agriculture put out a report on how the Tungus National Forest plays a very vital role in the global climate crisis. Quote, the coastal temperature forests in Alaska currently sequester and store large quantities of carbon. As a result, Alaska plays an important role in the global climate and carbon cycle. End quote. Well, how did the Trump administration respond to that? Well, the Trump administration essentially disregarded that report. And that was very much conspicuous that earlier this week on Wednesday, on October 28th, when the Washington Post reported um, that President Trump is about to strip protections from the Tungus National Forest, which is also referred to as, quote, America's last climate sanctuary, end quote. So that was reporting from the Washington Post on Wednesday. Well, the Washington Post reports, quote, as of Thursday, it will be legal for logging companies to build roads and cut and remove timber throughout more than 9.3 million acres of the forest. This decision, this decision reserves protections, excuse me, this decision reverses protections President Bill Clinton put in place in 2001 and is one of the most sweeping public land rollbacks Trump has enacted, end quote. So logging in Alaska is going to cost and it already does cost U.S. taxpayers millions of dollars each year, and that's because of the long-standing federal mandate, quote, that companies profit from any timber sale, end quote. That's according to the Washington Post. 
And so according to a taxpayer for commission since analysis, over the last 40 years, the Tungus Timber Program has roughly lost $1.7 billion. Has lost roughly $1.7 billion. But you know, there is some heartening news here, if you are concerned as much as I am. Um, according to the Washington Post, many will take litigation action. Eric, jo Eric Georgens Georgensen, who is the managing attorney for the Alaska Office of Earth Justice, and, and which is an environmental law firm, said, quote, Years ago, a previous administration tried to eliminate the essential protection from the roadless rule the roadless rule provides on the Tungus and the court courts rejected the attempt. Today's efforts is no better justified and we believe it will meet a similar fate, end quote. Despite these courageous and remarkable litigation efforts, some experts, however, are still worried that this decision could permit timber cell, which would release more carbon into the air. The Washington Post continues, quote, Dallas Salad noted that last month he he had to evacuate from his home near Talent, Oregon, because of a massive blaze nearby, a clear sign of how catastrophic climate impacts are already suffering, or excuse me, are already affecting the United States. He says, quote, it's personal for me. We don't have a lot of time to get this right, and we are heading in the wrong direction, end quote. For the record, this decision to permit logging and remove timber was encouraged by Alaska's Republican Governor Mike Mike Dunleavy and Republican Senator Dan Sullivan. I will leave the link to this Washington Post article in the description of this episode. The Trump administration has just decided to do this at absolutely the worst time. Earlier this week, the Washington Post reported that 90,000 people in Southern California were ordered to evacuate because of these large wildfires. Well, on Thursday, those evacuation orders were lifted but still remained for some for some areas. Today, this was the headline at thehour.com, quote, burned, beetle, ravaged, Wyoming forests expected to flourish, end quote. The hour continues with a reporting, quote, the morning of September 17th, as a Scott, as Scott Butler clambered over fallen log after fallen log and around dead trees as far as he could see, he thought about how only a fire could create the renewal long needed. The savage run wilderness nestled nestled in the southern end of the snowy range had been ravaged for years by the mountain pine beetle. Like most of the range, it was covered in more dead trees than live ones. And now more than a month after the Molen fire tore through more than 175,000 acres of mountainside and destroyed dozens of homes and buildings, wildfires, biologists, hunters, and other forest users are beginning to think about that transition from beetle kill to wildfire. If there is a silver lining to the target wildfire, if there is a single, if it, excuse me, if there is a silver lining to the largest wildfire in Wyoming's recent history, it's the eventual benefit for wildlife, they say. Quote, it's re it really pushed a reset button for the entire forest. Ryan, um, Ryan Amuse Dunn, terrestrial, uh, who is a terrestrial habitat biologist for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department, continues, quote, if we have done, if we had, if we had it done on our terms, I would like to see 170,000 acres burned over 20 years, not all at once, end quote. 
Today, the Denver Post reported that the Cameron Peak and East Troublesome Walt fire um, are remaining silent today. Quote, Colorado's massive wildfire remains quiet Sunday with no growth as snow from last week's storm melts across the region. The Cameron Peak fire remained a more than at 208,663 acres as of Sunday, or about 326 square, square, excuse me, square miles, and 64% of that fire is contained. The East Troublesome Fire remained at 193,774 acres, or 303 square miles, and 37% of that fire is contained. Firefighters along the East Troublesome Fire expect to see pockets of smoldering and heat, but no significant growth even as temperatures rise into the 50s and winds pick up Sunday, according to a morning update from fire officials. End quote. On Friday, a person told The Guardian in reference to the Colorado wildfires, quote, the season is off the charts. End quote. And in the midst of all of this, the Trump administration has just decided that now maybe is a great idea to permit logging sale to, to permit logging and timber sales in one of the nation's largest climate sanctuaries. This is an ongoing story, so we will keep you updated as more news develops. We'll be right back. Introducing Tide Power Pods with Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. And then there's a husband. And then there's me. That's a lot of clothes. I, I am in, in close contact with my scientific colleagues and my public health colleagues, which long, long, long antedated COVID-19. So those relationships stay the same. The part of your question, when you look at what we've done, could we've done anything different? It really depends on what you mean. From a scientific standpoint, I think what is going to turn out, and I hope so, I don't want to get overconfident in it, but I think one of the real successes that we're going to see over the next couple of months is what's happened in the arena of vaccines, as well as, in some extent, newer and better therapeutics. So I, I think we can look forward to something positive there. Could we have done things better from a public health standpoint? Of course, whenever you're dealing with a very difficult situation like that, you can always look back and say there were things that we could have done better and that we should have done better, but that's just the nature of the situation we're in. I think anyone who says, no, we've done everything perfectly is really uh, not looking at the reality of the fact that when you have such challenges like that, whether you're in Europe or in Asia or in the United States, we could always look back and say we could have done a better job. We could have done better. Uh, that was Dr. Anthony Fauci earlier this week speaking about the coronavirus pandemic. On Friday, Dr. Fauci told the Washington Post that the United States was in for, quote, a whole lot of hurt, end quote, and contradicted President Trump's optimistic assessment of the coronavirus. Dr. Fauci continues, quote, all the stars are aligned in the wrong place as you go into the fall and winter season with people congregating at home and indoor with people congregating at home indoors. You could not possibly be positioned more poorly, end quote. 
After those remarks, um, the White House accused Dr. Fauci of, quote, playing with politics, end quote. Um, Yesterday, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he doesn't expect a new stimulus package until 2021, until 2021. The former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb um, gave a caveat to the nation, saying that the Thanksgiving holiday could be the, quote, inflection point, end quote, of a dangerous exponential increase in coronavirus cases. He said, quote, things are getting worse around the country. December is probably going to be our toughest month. End quote. In individual states, cases are continuing to rise. Today, Utah reported 1,854 new coronavirus cases and 10 deaths. Right now, 342 Utah residents are being hospitalized due to COVID-19. This update um, brings the total number of coronavirus cases in Utah to 116,510, 614 deaths, and approximately 5,526 hospitalizations. Today, North Dakota began the month with a record high of COVID-19 cases. North Dakota reported 1,128 new coronavirus cases today and seven deaths. This now brings the number of active coronavirus cases to 8,370. In just a week, cases have increased by more than 1,800, with 6,506 active cases reported last week on October 25th. Yesterday, reporter Glenn Rifkin reported at the New York Times about the death of a 17-year-old in North Dakota. Quote, when she died of COVID-19 on October 6th, Olivia, Elvia Ramirez was only 17 and she had started her senior year at Parshall High School on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation Reservation in North Dakota. Elvia intended to marry her long-term boyfriend and had hopes of attending college. She had promised to take some of her younger siblings to Disneyland one day. Instead, she became the youngest person in the state to die of the virus so far. According to her mother, Elvia started to experience headaches in mid-September and had stayed home from school. Her boyfriend had the same symptoms. So, so her mother then goes, her mother says, um, her mother took her to a drive through clinic. Both tested positive for COVID and soon Elvia had a fever. Her boyfriend eventually recovered. On October, on September 22nd, when her daughter began to have difficulty breathing, um, the mother her mother called an ambulance. Alvia was taken to a hospital in nearby Minot, but the facility was ill-equipped. And but the facility was ill-equipped to handle serious COVID cases. The hospital was so short-staffed that Miss Three Irons had to take on much of her daughter's care. Eventually, the staff insisted she can no longer be in the room. She called Elvia on the phone. "Quote: I told her I loved her, and she told me she was scared." As her daughter's conditions exacerbated, Miss um, Three Irons arranged to have El- Elvia airlifted to Sanford Children's Hospital in Fargo, 270 miles away. By the time Elvia arrived, her condition had deteriorated further and her breathing grew more labored. <clears throat> she was intubated and placed on a ventilator. She never woke up and was never able to speak to her mother again. Unquote. Right now, all over the United States, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are rising. This is not going on. This is not going away. We're not rounding the corner or rounding the turn, as the president likes to say. 
But things are getting worse, and we're approaching the winter, which means the flu season. You can monitor on our website uh, for any further updates on the coronavirus pandemic, but cases are rising in multiple states, not just in these two, not just in Utah and North Dakota, but cases are rising everywhere, and it is deeply, deeply emotional. Stay safe, wear your mask, and wash your hands. The last note is next. Meet the Ninja Foodie Air Fry Oven. Make fast, family-sized meals in the time it takes some ovens to preheat. With Ninja's superheated air, you can air fry for extra crispy, guilt-free, delicious results. And because it's a Ninja Foodie, it can do things that no other oven can. And even flip up and out of the way. The Ninja Foodie Air Fry Oven. The oven that crisps and flips away. Earlier this week, the Gulf Coast was battered by Hurricane Zeta. Now, apparently, we are now looking on our on the lookout for this week, Tropical Storm Ida, which apparently has now formed, and it is tying the record for the most named storms in a season at 28. Um, according to CBS News, quote, Tropical Storm Ida formed in Central Caribbean on Saturday, becoming the 28th named storm on the 2020 hur- Atlantic hurricane season. This season has now tied the record for the most named storms in a season previously set in 2005. While the number of storms in 2005 was also at 28, this is the first time the name Ida will ever be used. In 2005, there were only 27 named storms, with only unnamed tropical, with only unnamed subtropical storm being added to the tally in a postseason reanalysis by the National Hurricane Center. 2020 has been a remarkable hurricane season by so many measures. This season also holds the record for the most tropical systems to make landfall in the United States with 11 and ties the record for most landfalling hurricanes at six. End quote. Once again, Tropical Storm Ida um, potentially becoming a hurricane later into this week as we continue to monitor this story. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Make sure to vote. We will see you this weekend with special coverage on the election and everything that transpired. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I love you all and good night.